Welcome to the Retail Wire Podcast. The show bringing you the very best in expert analysis, insights, and discussions straight from some of the retail industry's leading experts. Whether you're a retailer looking to stay ahead of the curve, a supplier navigating the ever-changing retail landscape, or someone who just really loves retail, we've got you covered. Get ready. It's time for another great episode here on the Retail Wire Podcast. Hey, everybody. What's going on? It's Brian. I'm back again with another great episode here on the Retail Wire Podcast. And I'm super pumped because uh, I've just been having some really great conversation uh, before hitting record here uh, with my next guest. He is the co-founder and partner at Ascendant Loyalty Marketing. Uh, He co-owns that with his buddy, Jay Weinberg. Uh, previously with Deloitte Digital, Accenture, and uh, client side with department stores, retail stores, and pure play e-commerce companies. Um, and like I said, he's been a brain trust member here at Retail Wire for a little more than eight years now, I think. So uh, I'm going to say welcome to the show, Mr. David Slavic. How are you? I am fabulous. Uh, this is going to be one heck of a show and really excited to visit with you, Brian. This is great. If I had a seatbelt, I would buckle it right now because uh, I think so far, just <laughs> leading up to this, we've had little side conversations around um, the Peabody Ducks, World Religions, um, ribs, and barbecue sauce. So I can only imagine what's going to come out on the air. Um, <laughs> but where, so, so tell us just a little bit about uh, who you are before we get into all the fun, silly details. Yeah. Who are you, man? Where are you at? Uh, what? What makes David Slavic you? <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, a lot of it is just having a, a love and a passion for life. Um, and uh, yeah, our kind of pre-call was was a lot of fun just to get to know each other and look forward to sharing a lot on this on this call uh, with you, Brian. I feel like we're best friends already. Um, right. So I grew up in Chicago uh, in the inner city. And uh, from an early age, uh, growing up in a lower middle class uh, household, simple little six room apartment. Uh, three boys, mom and dad, mom and dad mar- married for 57 years. Um, you know, you had to make money. I didn't get an allowance. So from the time that, believe it or not, I was 10 years old, I would jump on my bike, uh, which didn't have any gears, and go up about eight blocks up a hill on Arthur Avenue in Chicago. And I would actually open up the drugstore and start the day for okay. that drugstore. And then eventually the pharmacist would show up. So the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times dropped off the papers and all of the inserts with all the coupons um, at the front door, uh, all bailed up with wire. Uh, And I had to carry it in and then assemble all the newspapers. And at the time, back then, uh, you didn't have delivery. No one bothered. You know, they just, it was part of their regular routine to, you know, uh, take a walk. Um, get their Sunday newspaper, get their coupons, maybe buy a pack of cigarettes, buy a Coke, whatever it was, maybe pick up a prescription uh, once the pharmacist was in. And at 10 years old, I was behind the cash register uh, ringing up uh, orders and they didn't have restrictions back then. So if somebody wanted a pack of camels or cools or Marlboros, the 10 year old was handing them their cigarettes (laughs) and I was making about a dollar an hour. So, uh, you know, I would work at the drugstore in retail and understood all about setting shelves and, you know, dealing with all the merchandise and taking inventory and then worked at a grocery store 
uh, you know, packing, uh, packing orders and learning how to pick the right kind of a melon where you pick up a melon and you got to yeah. smell both sides of the melon. And then based on its smells, you either know if it's ripe and ready to eat or there's no smell and it's got to sit there for a while. So little tricks of the trade. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Worked at a Walgreens, uh, one of the original Walgreens at Howard and Western in, in Chicago. And over time, what happened was on the third floor of our building was a gentleman that worked for the Leo Burnett agency. Okay. So, you know, ad, ad, advertising was really cool. You know, it wasn't Mad Men back then uh, for me and my age, but nevertheless, it was kind of neat. Hey, you work in, in advertising. What do you do? I do music beds. So he was like the Charlie Harper from Two and a Half Men gotcha. of the Leo Burnett agency. Well, you mean you do different music for the different clients? Oh, yeah. When you when you place an ad on a radio station, if it's an urban station for an African-American audience versus a rock station uh, versus a classical music station, you're not playing the same music to go along with the copy. And you yeah. may even adapt the copy. And I'm like, wow, that's that's really, really cool. So you actually work with orchestras and 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 with bands and everything else and like you actually write the music and yep that's what i do i write the music and then when people hear the ad on the radio or even on television it's a different bed uh, of music then people are more receptive to the commercial from procter and gamble from kellogg's from kimberly clark whoever it was that was a brunette client i was like that is the coolest thing i think i'm gonna go into advertising all right so Graduated from lovely Sen High School in the inner city of Chicago, applied to the University of Illinois, got into the business school, applied as a junior, which is the way it worked, into the advertising uh, school, College of Communications at Illinois, got my bachelor's in advertising, stayed through and got my master's, figured I would just go straight through, and got hired by Footcone, uh, which is a really strong publicist agency today still. Um yeah. And worked on Kraft and S.E. Johnson and Pizza Hut business, and then eventually went to work at Kimberly Clark um, and managed a $60 million budget for Kimberly Clark and the CPG side with feminine hygiene products and Kleenex and Huggies diapers and all that good stuff. And so the first half of my career was all retail, consumer packaged goods. And then over time, the one thing that was really Taking hold, you know, the old saying, 50% of advertising works and 50% doesn't. You just don't know what 50%, you know, is the one that works, was direct marketing and loyalty. Okay. And so I went to work for a company called Frequency uh, Marketing in Cincinnati, which eventually became Epsilon today, which is one of the biggest uh, firms, if not the most prominent firm in that space. And that's where I got that foundation. Um it was just great, you know, working with different clients on a global basis. And then, you know, went client side, like you said, and had great experience in department store and specialty retail, American Eagle Outfitters and Pure Play Online, FTD, the flower company. Um, and then, you know, eventually towards the tail end of, you know, the, the uh, somebody paying me a salary, Accenture and Deloitte, and the last four years in partnership with Jay with Ascendant Loyalty. Uh, but long ago, about like you said, eight years ago, been on Brain Trust and just absolutely love it. And so it's yeah. great to be with you today. Man, that is a whirlwind of an experience right there, man. So you started out around, you said, 10, 10 years old, opening a drugstore. And then that turns into you helping run Ascendant Loyalty Marketing. 
which is that's man, that's such a awesome journey to have had. Um, when you think back to like the the drugstore days and stuff, I mean, were you just kind of you were just looking for something to do to to make money and just kind of fill the fill the gap at that point? Um, how how did your parents feel about that? You know, back then it was safe to get up at six o'clock in the morning, and go yeah. to open up a drugstore. You even had the keys to the to the drugstore. There were a lot of drugs in that drugstore too. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it was just you know my parents were trustworthy and you know uh, just be careful. Didn't have a cell phone in my pocket to be able to call them to say, "Hey, I'm inside and the door is locked." Um, you know, and I'm assembling those newspapers. But uh, yeah, you know, growing up lower middle class, I didn't get an allowance. Okay. Yeah. So you had to hustle and you, you know, you made the money that you used to go to the movies and, and, uh, and do fun things and, you know, ride the, uh, the L in Chicago and go downtown and, and have fun with your friends and go golfing. You know, there's a lot of public courses in Chicago. So it's, it's great. Great. Yeah. That's, that's a hoot, man. I'm, I, I love this. And I'm like, there's, there's so many areas that we could go into and I just don't, yeah, I, I would go down so many rabbit trails with you right now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, man, so again, just thanks for being on the episode here. Uh, and, and so we're talking about, you know, now you're in this area of loyalty marketing. Um, you know, you, you've already told us you kind of grew up around it and everything. Were there uh, kind of along the way, um, I would imagine even before we get into the loyalty marketing side, um, who are some influential people? I know you mentioned like the, the ad guy across the street, um, but like, who would you say were some influential people who were like, Hey, you know, let me encourage you along this path. Oh, you want to do this? Oh, well then I would, I would say you need to jump into this or you need to grow here or become smarter here. Um, or stay away from this, you know, who are, who are those people for you? Yeah. So obviously I wish I remember the guy's name that was on the third floor of our building. Um, you know, but you know, that was kind of the beginning thing just to understand how cool, because I love music. Okay. Um, I was actually a a DJ on WPGU in Champaign from two and six in the morning where everybody called me and said, play Freebird every one hour, every hour. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got to play it every hour. Um, but you know, he was an influence. And then again, you, you know, you get lucky in life. So my brother uh, married a St. Louis girl and his uncle by marriage is a gentleman by the name of Aaron Cushman. Uh, and Cookie had his own advertising and PR firm uh, in Chicago. And he was best friends with Bill Veck. And so Bill Veck was the owner of the White Sox. Again, another passion of uh, uh, baseball, um, even though I'm a Cubs fan. And, um, you know, I visited with him because my brother's seven years older than me. So at the age of 13, I'm standing up for my brother in his wedding and I meet Cookie and he says, so what are you going to do with your life, young man? What what are you interested in? I told him the whole story about my guy on the third floor. And he goes, yeah, advertising would be good. Cookie advised me from the time of 13. Cookie wrote uh, my uh, recommendation to the University of Illinois. Uh, personal recommendation to get me into uh, the college. Of course, you had to have a high grade point average to get in as well. Not anybody could apply because it's very yeah. small, small college in population, smallest college, actually, College of Communications, which is now the College of Media at Illinois, um, smallest by population at the whole university. And so Cookie was a huge influence on me. Uh, God bless him. He just passed away just, I think, about two years ago. 
well past 90. Um, and then from Cookie, it was a fellow by the name of Billy Payton. So Billy Payton created the In Circle program at Neiman Marcus. Uh, Billy grew up uh, hard scrabble, lower income. He showed me his house uh, one day that he grew up in, oh my God, uh, in Dallas. And uh, he created that rewards program uh, at Neiman Marcus, which is a pretty significant thing back then in terms of clienteling. Okay. So you had personal shoppers in the department store that would work with the customer to help them with their shopping experience. They knew everything about what was inside the customer's closet. They knew what their favorite colors were. They knew what their favorite styles were. They knew when, you know, all their anniversaries were, their birthdays, and they would make phone calls to these uh, uh, customers uh, of Neiman Marcus and any one different uh, market and uh, and be able to, to do that kind of personal shopping service. It was totally innovative. And as part of the overall component, based upon how much you spend, you got something back and we showed yeah. appreciation to you. And then you could use that reward towards a future purchase. Naturally, there was lots of other benefits, you know, free free tailoring and, you know, free shipping even back then and free gift wrapping and easy uh, return policies and everything else. And so Billy uh, taught me a lot. Uh, he was at the Briarly Agency and we hired Briarly as our platform. Uh, Briarly was recently acquired by a company out of India called Capillary Technologies in the last couple of months. Um, okay. But they were true innovators in the loyalty space, working with uh, United Airlines, working with Hertz. Um, and Billy switched from client side at Neiman Marcus to, to Briarly. And when I was at American Eagle and I was looking for a partner for the American Eagle Outfitters uh, All Access Pass program, we hired Briarly. And they were with them for about 18 years in some total, well past after I left AE. So I learned a lot from Billy, um, you know, about clienteling, about personal service about innovation, all of that. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, that is insane. Like I, the more that we're on here, I'm just, I'm just going to say, if you're listening to the episode right now, I'm just going to encourage you down in the show notes, there's going to be a, a, uh, link, uh, to David's LinkedIn profile. Um, be sure and connect with him. Cause if, if this is fascinating to you at all, uh, uh you know, David, I'm just going to put it out there. They can probably reach out. Right. And like, uh, learn a lot more about this because uh, and i don't i don't think that i have enough memory on my uh memory card here for recording all this so yes on linkedin um i have my uh, business uh, email address anytime any questions okay. at all um and and my phone number cell is on my profile as well and i i'm super passionate uh to pass along good karma So, you know, folks to reach out with any kind of question whatsoever, they're not going to get sold. They're going to ask a question and get an answer or a good piece of advice or a referral to the right place to go uh, to get get those answers. Because having been in this business for as long as I have been, um, I know a lot of people on a global basis and can put you in touch with really strong, high integrity, ethical people um, to, to ultimately, uh, help you, uh, in that regard. So by all means, and same goes for looking for a job. Um, I'm helping a number of people right now, uh, to find something as a matter of fact. Yep. That's really awesome. So let's go back. Uh, I think you mentioned that you started in loyalty, specifically loyalty marketing in around, was it 97? Is that yes. about right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So 
obviously a lot has changed since then, but before we even get into that, what's, what was something that, um, that said, Hey, loyalty marketing, or was it called loyalty marketing at that point? You mentioned the Neiman Marcus thing. So, uh, was it, was it something that, what was the thing, the catalyst that said, Hey, that's exactly where I want to go into. Uh, was it the Neiman Marcus situation that you mentioned, or it's it's more about um, the fact that it's programmatic mm-hmm. and it integrates with overall marketing platform. It yeah. supports the brand, so it brought in the advertising component, which I love, and the messaging uh, to the customer. And it's a way to go and bring the customer closer to the brand, ultimately. Yeah. And to provide a differentiated experience, because every brand has its own persona. Every brand has its own unique attributes. You want to bring that out and deliver it in a more forward way to really make the customer feel appreciated. Yeah. So it's not about discounting. It, it, loyalty is, is not you know, transaction-based discounting. There's deal loyalty and there's brand loyalty. And so companies that are doing it that are more deal-oriented and it's just push, push, push discounts and savings and so on and so forth, that works because their orientation is promotion. And that's the reason why I signed up, permission-based, to get the emails and be interested when I'm willing to shop. But you could see, for example, with Bed Bath & Beyond shutting down or a lot of these other brands that have gone away like Pier 1, et cetera, if that's all you're doing is offering discounts, but you're not offering differentiated value and you're not doing things from an innovative standpoint to help the brand and elevate the brand and and differentiate according to the different customer value segments, then you fail. And so the reason why loyalty was so interesting to me is because it combined both the advertising and marketing side with the direct marketing aspect and the mm-hmm. high level of, of traceability and accountability that's associated with it, because I can match you, Brian, to your behavior in shopping at XYZ and yeah. understand what your lifetime value worth is to me. And based on that, I could do more and better things to make you shop me instead of the competition. So it's a share of market, share of wallet aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, exactly to that. Like, I know loyalty marketing, it's even in just general retail, it's people can get so caught up in the programs and the and the offers and the sale price and everything else. But we we forget a lot and we forget very quickly um, that it, it at the end of the day, it's still about relationship, right? It's still about people. And so if the more that you can understand your customer, the more you can you know know what's in their closet, know what's in their drawers, in their kitchen, what's, you know, the, the colors that they like, the patterns that they like, things like that, then the more that you can appeal, uh, and you can really segment down to an area of advertising and a level of advertising that really just, just hits them in their core, not just on that surface level of, Oh, Hey, here's a sale, but here's something, here's a sale on that item that you've been looking for. And and you get the exclusive right to it because of this loyalty program, right? Right. I mean, that's yeah. what you're speaking about is personal. You couldn't have said it any better. What you're speaking about, and you find that from surveys, is I've got all this data, but I'm not optimizing it. I aspire yeah. to personalization. And the customer is saying, I'm sharing my information with you. I know you're tracing, tracking me and tracing yeah. me. Show me that you know me. 
So yeah. it's all about relevancy. That was the other part of what you were just describing. And that's exactly right. And that's the reason why artificial intelligence, machine learning, strong analytics, having a good foundation of voice of customer research, yeah. all those things need to be part of the plan. They need yeah. to be part of the operating capability. It's not just sign up, track the behavior, have it in a database, and then promote. That's yeah. not good enough. You, you've got to have all those other foundational parts uh, work, working for you. And so the good part is you asked, you know, how are things changed? The good part is there's a lot of great providers out there on the technology side on the software yeah. as a service technology side, typically uh, the Forrester Wave is a good resource to see who's out there. And there are a lot of companies that actually are, you know, providing the service, but they're not in the wave. So you got to do your research as well. But Forrester is a great starting point. Um, yeah, they're providing. They used to just provide loyalty, so points, basic stuff. Get get double points, triple points. Uh, you're in one particular tier or segment of value of customer, and you're going to get differentiated benefits in a longer list if you're a VIP versus you just joined and all that kind of stuff. Now they've yeah. gotten more into the customer relationship marketing area and provide even more additive services. They've built you know analytic capability. They've built research capability. They've built the capability to do gamification. They've built the capability to provide email services to clients. Uh, all of those incremental benefits, companies are adding those. So if the client is interested in consolidating all those capabilities, you could do that with one vendor or one partner who has all those. So, you know, whether, you know, like Salesforce has the marketing cloud and the service cloud and now they have loyalty management. That's that's an option where it's all in one place. But there are some clients that don't want to put all their eggs in one basket, and that's okay too. But the good part is for a lot of different clients that are maybe medium sized and you know they're five billion or less in sales. You know, for them to have one partner that can do all of, a lot of those things, handle referrals, handle um, you know reviews, uh, content management, etc. It's nice to have you know a really solid. Uh, you know, partner that can do a lot of a lot of those things. And that's how the market has evolved from a tech standpoint. And the cost has gone way down on a per customer basis to service it, too. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, you mentioned there's been so many advancements in like the the availability of of solutions really uh, is is so much more prominent today than it was 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, is there an area though that you still see uh, retailers or clients um, just still fumbling, even though they have all this plethora of mm -hmm. uh, like that? I threw in my big word for the day. Um, it, they have the giant assortment of things available to them. Uh, is there something that you see a lot of people still making the same mistake over and over and over, or maybe depending on one certain area to save them or getting tunnel vision, getting, you know, sideswiped by something? What well, does that look like? You know, it's like um, Jeff Bezos is a brilliant guy and he creates Amazon Prime and he then purchases Whole Foods. And so you go to Whole Foods, I think it's the same way it, before as it is now, you 
if you're an Amazon Prime customer and you go to Whole Foods after you purchased them, you get 10% off on your ticket. I mean, how fabulous mm. is that with inflation being what it is in grocery? Thank God it's going down a little bit. People see what Amazon is doing with Amazon Prime charging over $119 or whatever it is, $129, you know, for the service. And they go, well, we should do a subscription program. Well, you better be careful going into subscriptions. So I think that, you know, trends are are emerging in a whole bunch of different areas, whether it's uh, improving and where the weakness is. As I said, you can collect the data, but if you don't have an effective analytical foundation, you're failing. And by the mm-hmm. way, one of the best areas to go into, period, the end, and where full employment can be found is in analytics. So if you have a child and they're just starting out in college and they like math, have them study statistics and and, uh, modeling and analytics, and they'll be full-time employed for the rest of their life. They don't have to be a lawyer. (laughs) They don't have to be a doctor. They can go into analytics and they'll be full-time employed no matter what industry they go into because people want to know what the data is showing them and how to go and apply it. Another place where there's a gap is you do have the analytics and you've got the data and you can use all the great visual tools uh, that are available out there for you. But where are the implications relative to the data? Who's mm-hmm. looking at the data and saying, today I saw this trend and strategically yep. or tactically, we should do a test and learn program based upon what we're seeing and how our customer is behaving. Yeah, because so all data points tell that story, right? I yep. mean, they, they all point to something. Yes. Occasionally, there's the weird anomaly that happens, and I sure. totally understand that. But for the, for the biggest majority of everything, the, if, when, you un, when you have a, the right kind of person who can decipher the data points, then they can tell you that whole story. Right, and don't just, present, don't just pre- present the charts and graphs to me and leave it at that. Yep. Talk to me and write it up intelligently and tell me what you see and work cooperatively with the program managers, with the owner of the program, with the chief marketing officer, whoever it is, yep. and say, this is what we're seeing and this is what we should do. Now, yeah. somebody's going to go and say, well, we have all these wildly important goals. You know, How do we do that too? Well, shame on you. You should have a test and learn budget. You should have yeah. a set aside budget just for testing. Mm. Okay, so you don't just like create it in the middle of the calendar year. You should always be planning if it's July, August, and you're thinking about 2024, set aside a test and learn budget to be able to then take the data and apply it to then drive your innovation. So that's that's yeah. one area that is, is key and important. Um, another one is just simply be careful about doing subscriptions to try generating incremental revenue back into the enterprise because once you start collecting that money from the customer, you got to deliver against it. And the advice that I always give a client when they say, should we explore subscription? Well, okay, you've got 10 million members. How many of the most passionate customers do you have that use the majority of your services? Now you're going to go and add incremental services or benefits to the overall mix. How many passionate customers do you, well, I think 1 million. Okay. What would you like to charge? A hundred dollars. Well, if you go 1 million times a hundred, that's a big number. 
So then that yep. gets everybody's attention, including the CFO and the CEO. Huzzah, we're going to make our bonus this year. Well, you darn well better yeah. deliver. Because if you don't, you're going to have a million customers that are going to cancel sometime during the first calendar year because they're disappointed because it was an empty promise. Or year two, you're going to be chasing after renewals. Yep. And that's an extra expense. So, and it also is demand on your call center. So be careful what you wish for when you jump into the subscription pool. Just because Amazon's doing it or Lululemon's doing it or Pete's Coffee is doing it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be doing it. Yeah. Okay? You um, have to know your model and you have to know your customer for sure. And you've got to have, if you're charging $40, or in the case of Best Buy, two hundred dollars mm-hmm. for a subscription annually with associated benefits. You need to deliver four hundred dollars worth of value back to that customer. So it's yeah, like, yeah. well, this is a no-brainer. Of course, I should pay two hundred. I I love the brand. I bring my equipment in. They wind up going and repairing it. Um, they've got you know incremental type of service benefits that are associated with it they'll come to my house and install my flat screen tv and not charge me for it there's no hassles with returns or exchanges all that kind of stuff you made life easy for me okay i'll pay the 200 then what happens in year 2 i don't have a flat screen and i don't have any repairs am i yeah. still going to pay the 200 so you got to keep evolving what it is that you're doing so i've commented a couple of times on what Best Buy's up to. And I think, you know, they're trying to go and generate incremental revenue. You just gotta be, you just gotta be careful about those things. Yeah. There was a, uh, a phrase and I, I'm going to butcher it, but, uh, essentially it was, you know, always be cautious what circus you start putting on. Cause you got to keep showing up to perform. Right. So that's it. Uh, and that's and retail is it. And it. retail is a three ring circus. We all, we all know that <laughs> it is. And you have to have, I think to speak of that is like, is, you know, to that point, not only do you have your year one stuff or your year two, uh, but yeah, I could see that being a huge detriment to someone, uh, to, a, to a company trying to launch out because everybody can see the quick gains that you can make, right? And you see, oh yeah, if we sell this times this, well then you can see that's where those big profits come from. But if you're not actively the second you launch you know it's kind of like christmas every year right so the second that christmas is over a retailer had better be planning for christmas next year on december 26th because otherwise if they're not they're already behind um because it is it is constantly about offering the same value offering the same experience or better um you know it's it's like you're saying if people are spending that 200 bucks well sure they'll drop it once because they can justify needing the tv discount needing the tv installed needing this and this and this but year two or year three rolls around and they're going and i think i'm good actually i think i'm set i don't i don't need that uh what else you got for me and you're sitting over here going free tv install still you need a new tv right like another me. tv and they're like, yeah, going, like, no, like no, me. No. yeah please please like me so yeah. uh, i i want to talk about one thing which um was always yeah. very impressive um, and that was hindsight analysis or a look back or a 360. Okay. And we would do that at American Eagle Outfitters. So led by Michael Leedy and Adam Diamond in the marketing area. And I was part of that running the CRM loyalty and credit card marketing and gift card at AE. It was a fabulous experience. Um, yeah. 
at each end of season, whether it was spring or summer or fall, but especially post-holiday, we would do that, that hindsight analysis. And it wasn't just us evaluating ourselves on how well we executed or didn't execute our campaigns, but we talked with our credit card um, uh, partner, which was GE Consumer Finance. Now it's Synchrony Bank spinoff. Okay, we would yeah. we would talk with the uh, the field organization, store operations, headed up by a brilliant guy, Joe Karen and Tracy Benneman, and the whole communications team. And we'd say, what did we do well? What didn't we do well? How did we disappoint? How did we delight the customer? What kind of feedback did we get? We would do surveys mm-hmm. as well, but we wanted to hear firsthand to say, it, for next year, what could we do differently to even you know do better? How was the economy? We know what the economy was, but we had this performance, and in some places we had a plan in certain regions or whatever it was, and we didn't accomplish it. What was it? Was it the product? Was it that there was a lot of breakage in sizes? Was it mm. down traffic? Was it the things that our competition did at Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister and and Urban and so on? And get all that feedback and sort through it and evaluate it in a very not in a defensive uh, position, but in a very proactive t- position, which would set us up for success for next year. I don't yeah. know how many retailers actually do that. But that was a practice that we had at AE, and it 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 served us very very well. Yeah, man, that's really cool. Um, so what are you? I think what are you excited about right now in retail? What's uh, what's kind of got? What's is there something on the horizon that's coming that you're either experimenting with already, or that you just can't wait to get your hands on from from a loyalty perspective? I mean, what's something about that? Well, I, I think the analytical tools I'm super excited about. Um, yeah. uh, it, we have some strategic relationships with companies. One of the leading uh, companies in the AI space um, headed up uh, in the retail side by a good friend of mine, Mark Crystal, a company called N-E-T-A-I-L, Entail. Um, okay. Kind of a weird way of saying it, but that's how it's spelled. And it's uh, it's uh, really um, the foundation of the company uh, came from a fellow by the name of Andrew Ng. If you look him up, Andrew, and then NG basically is the, you know, the brilliant innovator in AI. I know there's a lot of talk about chat GPT and so on. But the bottom line is building that AI capability and have that automate a lot of it, what it, what you do and intuitive. I think that helps not to replace people um, on the marketing or the loyalty side, but it ultimately fulfills on your communications effectiveness, your offer effectiveness, your analytics uh, assessment, et cetera. So that's one place that I'm super excited about. I think that more companies are trying to do coalition programs, but through partners. So it's kind of like a player model where everybody participates and you're offering differentiated value, but I'm, I'm speaking to and servicing the same customer. So whether it's a movie theater with a restaurant chain, with a uh, streaming service as a partner, uh, with a flower company, uh, with a um, um, a food delivery company like a Blue Apron or a Sun Basket, you bring all of those partners together and they share the same type of customer base. And they can also reach new that help out others to go and grow their their uh, their customer base. That's a super exciting area. Um, yeah, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many places to go. People go and talk about affinity instead of loyalty. People talk about emotional connection. Um, And I think that's another part of it, which is virality and differentiated service, like I was talking about, that goes all the way back to Neiman Marcus and comes all the way forward to today. Um, And so, you know, how cool is Nike as an example where you could, you know, design your own shoe, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's things that, you know, Nike does with community, you know, you have like a workout club, a fitness club, a, um, running a club, club that you could running club. Exactly. Right. So it's not, it, it is the brand, but the brand is facilitating something that creates an emotional connection. So, mm-hmm. um, a client of ours is Orvis and they contribute 5% to nature and canine health. The whole aspect of sustainability, another client of ours is Rothy's, which are uh, shoes and purses and other accessories that are manufactured predominantly from uh, plastic bottles. Yeah. And so the whole sustainability, but also the responsibility that goes along with it. So it's conspicuous consumption. You know, we don't want you to buy 100 pairs of shoes. We want you to buy as many shoes as, you know, as you need for casual or for dress. But the bottom line is there's a recycling aspect that's associated with it, which is helping to save the planet or at least keep make it a cleaner ocean or what have you. So yeah. all of those themes, if sustainability is sincere and it actually you know fits with the brand and what corporate believes in and makes the employees proud of who they work for, I think that's you know very important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's kind of funny that that brought to mind the, uh, I think it's, isn't it JLo right now that's catching a lot of flack because she is uh, touting an alcohol brand and she doesn't drink. So it's kind of fun. Um, I just watched the, I just watched the mother, uh, the movie Mother, which is a Netflix original just the other night. She was fabulous in it. So yeah. (laughs) What can I say? But yeah, that is a little uh, hypocritical or whatever you want to say. She was, she's in fabulous shape. She talked about how she, you know, work with trainers to go and do all the stunts. Definitely watch that movie. Sure. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that took a lot. So that's awesome. Well, uh, you know, let's, I know we got to wind down here. We've been going for a little bit, but if you are able to go back and kind of talk to yourself at 10 years old, back in that drugstore, um, if you're able to go back and, and talk to yourself there and see the trajectory, you know, knowing what you know now about where you're at, is there any advice or any any input that you would give ten year old David uh, as as you're packing newspapers and and opening up a register at, at ten years old? Or, uh, invest, uh, invest invest in the stock market earlier. Uh, right. You know, pay attention to the tech boom that was happening during the Clinton years, and that made a lot of millionaires. Uh, that that would be not that money is all important. I I. Uh, have a wonderful marriage and two beautiful children and uh, Sarah works in marketing and Brad works in marketing. And we have two, two wonderful uh, uh, partners, uh, Megan and, and Ben, uh, and we have three gorgeous grandchildren and everybody has their health. Um, I, you know, I still have my mother uh, with us and she is absolutely fantastic. My mom is 103 and a half. That's impressive. And she graduated wow. from and she graduated from Northwestern in the 30s. Yeah, uh, when uh, women could only take three majors at Northwestern because, of course, why would women want to go into business? 
right? Yeah. So, like- you, you know, I, I'm very, by the grace of God, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy with how my life has turned out. Julie and I have been married for 41 blessed years on May 21st. I have no complaints whatsoever. I have wonderful kids, yeah. wonderful grandkids, a great, great family life, great friends, fraternity brothers, friends since kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. Still. So it's, it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. So what would I tell that guy? I would say invest in the stock market early. Yeah. And I think that's a good indicator for, for even people today too, of, of just keep your eyes open for the, the things that are changing, the things that are growing. Um, you know, we've, we're kind of on the, the boom. I, I even think that we're still really premature on AI. Um, you know, and so it's like, I think be looking for those little companies, look for those little opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about stock market. Um, but for what the stock market was, uh, you know, for you in that moment, the exponential factor, it, it's kind of like the NFT thing. If people would have gotten in, you know, very first, whenever Gary V started talking about it, uh, and then suddenly they would have blown up and then they could have sold them off and been done with it. Um, you know, because obviously NFTs have kind of gone down a little bit since then, uh, the, the, the big explosion kind of has settled down, but I think they're going to rally again. I really do. I just, I feel like they're going to have their QR code moment. Um, but that said, I think keep an eye out for the things that are changing the little, the little players that can grow up very quickly and, uh, and put your, your whole family one, David, you've got a fantastic legacy there that you're, that you've built and that you are continuing to build. And so that family is really great. Um, and such a, such a cool thing to see. Um, uh, but you're right. You know, money's not everything, but at the same point, it definitely helps, uh, you know, if, if you don't have it, it can definitely be a frustration. So, um, but yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you. Also, at the right point in time, plan on talking to a trust lawyer because it's a good idea because it's going to make it a lot easier for your kids when you uh, leave this, uh, leave this. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's another piece of practical, uh, practical advice. Um, Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I I think everybody goes and talks about innovation. Um, You should always be thinking about innovation. You should always be thinking about, you know, just taking a, a moment and step away from your PC, step away from work and, you know, breathe in the air, watch the birds, watch the trees and try to come up with some really cool ideas that you can pursue and have passionate about and that your sponsors and your mentors can support you with. And don't be afraid, as they say, don't be afraid to fail. Try, learn, and and keep trying uh, to innovate. Yeah. That's that's probably one of the big ones because we live in a world that um, you know will uh, reward innovation and reward yeah. big ideas, and I think that'll always continue. That's awesome. Well, like we said, if you would like to connect with David more, you can check out the show notes here. His LinkedIn profile will be down there. Um, is there any other place that they should look to connect with you on, or is that probably the best place for you? Um, and then the company website, ascendantloyalty.com, A-S-C-E-N-D-A-N-T, and loyalty all together. Um, and awesome. we have a contact uh, contact us uh, tab as well. And uh, again, as I said at the beginning, we're open um, anytime to have a chat. No worries. Uh, you know, sign an NDA or not sign an NDA. Your your secrets are safe with us. But uh, being part of Brain Trust and being part of Retail Wire. 
Um, it's a fabulous platform and uh, just a pleasure to to be a part of it. Yeah, sounds good, man. Thank you so much again for being with us and being a member of the Brain Trust. Uh, check out those show notes and we'll see you guys next time here on the Retail Wire podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Retail Wire podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a comment for a chance to hear it read on the next show. See you next time here on the Retail Wire podcast.